All right, so let me just say thank you as a church family for pressing in over the last several weeks in waiting on the Lord. It, it, it's, it, this is the first time I can recall we have gone such a long time, not really sure, like what should we study? And I know that might sound kind of obscure to you because uh, this is a little more like behind the scenes. But for me to go through a practice of basically since mid-December of not knowing what are we supposed to be studying and taking it a week at a time it was uh, uh, not my favorite experience. But through that, there's great lessons to be learned in waiting on the Lord and being faithful as you are still seeking him. And so in the midst of that faithfulness, we walked through that whole series. It was four weeks over the last month. And it's been really uh, good for me to start the year that way. And then there was breakthrough. Hey, First Thessalonians, study this. Be encouraged by their lives, their ministry, the work God did in that church. Uh, recognize the parallels between just two young churches and uh, celebrate who God is and allow it to not only encourage us, but refine us in God's image. So we are gonna begin this series in First Thessalonians. If you didn't find it yet, it is it's, it's a very small letter, but it's written after Philippians and Colossians and before you know, Timothy and, and, uh, and Titus. And so 1 Thessalonians would be the first letter. And if you're unfamiliar with this, some of your Bibles might say this at the beginning of it if it's one of those, but this is likely Paul's very first letter that he wrote. He wrote much of the New Testament, and this is probably the first one. This was a church that was started that we read about in the book of Acts when it got started, and years later, he writes back to them. And so in this opening section, we see how he reminisces with the church of how it got started and all the events around it, including the persecution they experienced. We also read of this young church's zeal and their devotion to God, which ended up setting an example to the believers throughout the entire ancient Mediterranean region. And for us, it's an encouragement to us of what God can do in the life of a young church. It's a reminder for us of the power of our zeal and devotion to the Lord and how he uses what even we do in our personal walks to the Lord or our collective pursuit of God. And he uses that as an encouragement to other believers. I've seen that firsthand, heard these stories from other churches, pastors, believers when they say, you know what God is doing? It just happened this last week too. And do you, you know, they were telling a, a, a guy new to the town, this church is reaching mountain people. And uh, it was really fun to hear their take on it. I thought like, I use those words. I didn't know you guys use those words, you know, in the city. So that was, it was fun. So here in First Thessalonians, let's start with verse one, uh, chapter one, verse one, right at the beginning, and just start working through it. So it starts off with three names, Paul, Sylvan, Sylvanus, and Timothy. Uh, that second name there, that is the Roman version of Silas. So we actually see Silas's name throughout the New Testament. That's what that is. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Okay, so right out of the gate, here we have a, a, a common opening with uh, similar to the other letters, if you've read these other New Testament letters. But I wanna draw your attention to something that is unique to this one and the next as well. First and second Thessalonians, Paul writes these different than all the other letters. In all the other letters, he mentions that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ or a servant of Christ. And this letter, he doesn't. He just says, I'm, I'm Paul and the other one as well. And there's, an, there's a, different, a few different um, 
theories as to why that might be. And I would, I would just submit that there's a kindred spirit among them, like this brotherhood. All the other letters, uh, particularly to the Corinthian church, he's got to rebuke them. So they're like, he's like, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, and y'all are in sin. But in this case, it's not that kind of a letter. It has a tone of encouragement. He's kind of coming along saying, and like, as a fellow brother in Christ, this is what we see. And I'm reminded of, like, if... Of, among you, I'm Adam, right? But when I go and if I guest speak somewhere or to another church, the pastor usually introduces me as like, this is, this is Pastor Adam. Or if I really got to drop the hammer, it's like, this is Reverend Adam Schwenk, right? And so it's a little bit like that. In this case, here we have Paul just, he's not using uh, the, the credentials that he normally uses. So then he says this. So the next, this whole next section, I'm going to break it up, but this whole next section is his opening um, a statement, prayer, however you might want to look at it. And it's the entire first chapter, and that's what we'll study this morning. So he says this, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul thinks of this church, he remembers their work and their labor and their steadfastness, and he links it to the Christian triplets, right? Faith, hope, and love. And in this moment, he's, he's reminding them, and for us, we can learn from this, that this church is not a lazy church. This church understood what it meant to work unto the Lord. It was not morally corrupt. It persevered, particularly through the intense social pressure of their other uh, friends or family or the city, uh, that didn't approve of their devotion to Christ. In a little bit, we're gonna read from Acts 17 to see how the church got started. But for now, let me just recognize some of these different marks here. When he mentions their faith, you know that? For us, we should be reminded of the role in our life of trusting God with our whole heart. Absolute worship and obedience, right? So when God says go, you go. When God says stay, you stay. There's an element of faith that transcends understanding around you or the circumstances that would tell you otherwise. Walking in faith is part of our Christian life. And therefore, without walking in faith, your Christian life loses its vibrancy. In fact, then it will start to become pretty dry and maybe just be religious duty or something that is stale. So we see this with faith, that role. With love, this is the center of our belief Without love, our Christian life is like a battering ram of truth, um, but they may not serve the purpose that you think. With love, we can have sacrifice and nurture and compassion beyond societal norms. And then lastly, just that, that reference to hope, that reminds us that ultimately our hope is in the promised eternity and also the promised return of Jesus Christ. And this drives us in our purpose and our endurance, Paul specifically links steadfastness of hope there. Without our hope, our Christian life, it loses its joy and its contentment, and um, it leads to a lot of despair. So this young church exuded these traits, and Paul is so thankful for their Holy Spirit virtues. I'm reminded of this quote by Martin, uh, Michael Martin. He says this, visible Christian deeds in perseverance in spite of difficulty it gives witness to a genuine and enduring faith. This church exuded and demonstrated and had tangible evidence of their life as being one that's committed to Christ. So it wasn't just church 
Like, it didn't just have church on the name of the building. They, they really were a church as Christ would want them to be. So it continues in verse four. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel, this is a fantastic phrase, I love this, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, right? So the word and power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. This has been a prayer of mine for years as far as what this church is like to, other, uh, to this community and also for our friends when we plant these churches or other work that happens. We say, we want you to go out not only with word, but then with power, Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And so to help us see how this looks, we have the privilege of Acts 17 giving us the portrayal of these events. So I want us to read Acts 17 in, in the section that talks about this church getting started, and you'll see how it started, not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So flip on over to Acts 17. If you'd like, we're gonna work through this just for a little bit. It says, starting in verse one, now when they, and this they is Paul and Silas, and I think Timothy, it says when Paul, uh, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on the three Sabbath days, so for three weeks on these Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now, now real quick, we're gonna pause there just to recognize the value and the importance to reason from Scripture, to explain from Scripture, to prove from Scripture who Jesus is and the role in, 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 to, to, to us and to the world, who Jesus is, and, and also why it was necessary for him to die and then to raise uh, from the grave. So why was it necessary for Jesus to suffer on the cross and to rise from the dead. Well, this was the method that God determined to take away the sin of the world and to reconcile mankind back to himself. First Peter 1 puts it this way. In verse 18 and through the first half of 20, it says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. All right, so Paul is preaching this. Now, how did the people respond to this? Well, we read about it in verse four. It says, and some of them were persuaded. This is Acts 17, verse four. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Kind of an interesting way to say, and many of the leading women. So a huge group of people start to believe and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, several Greeks, uh, and then several um, of the leading women, and then also some of the Jews believed as well, and they became followers of Christ. Because that phrase uh, to the devout, or, or not devout, but the the uh, the leading women. I, I do want to just take a moment to say, in this case, it, many women believed. You know, it's not uncommon for a wife to come to knowledge of Christ before her husband. And that is a common story for several of you. And so I want to encourage you all who would say, uh, uh, 
This is true for any spouse, but particularly those of you who are ladies. If you're a father of Christ and your husband's not, I wanna encourage you to press on, to continue praying for him, to continue uh, allowing the, the, the other stories of your friends who have been down this path and their husbands eventually came to faith, for that to be an encouragement to you, not um, a, a discouragement of, of uh, discontentment or unfairness or jealousy, and to allow yourself to continue faithfully trusting the Lord. And Galatians 6, 9 says something fascinating. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So I recognize that there is a lot of loneliness in a marriage when the um, spouses are not equally yoked before the Lord. There's loneliness there, there's tensions, but I encourage you to the degree you can, as God's grace is, uh, is within you and his Holy Spirit right, is empowering you to walk faithfully in that. Now let's keep reading here in verse five of Acts 17. This is, this is the after effect. So all these people come to Christ, right? They're all these Thessalonians. They're like, hey, this is awesome. I believe in Jesus. Hey, I bet the town loved that, right? The city was like, this is cool. We have a bunch of Christians in our town now. That's never happened before. So let's see what, let's see what the town says. Verse five, but the Jews were jealous, of course. Surprise, surprise. And taking some wicked men from, uh, of the rabble, right? The, these are the original rabble rousers. Here, taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob of all things. They set the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, talking about Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. Okay, so first of all, uh, their theology is kind of good there at the end, I think. Um, that's, they used it, obviously, against, against the believers, but... They were on point. Yes, there is another king, uh, the true king named Jesus. But the Thessalonians, uh, their belief, it was so true in just a short amount of time. It was so devoted, it was so pure, that it caused this stirring within those who didn't like it, uh, particularly those who were Jews who should have known better, right? Those ones who have been long awaiting the Messiah to return. He has, or not yet, yeah, to, to, to be, you know, to do his work of, uh, of reconciliation there in you know, the gospel accounts. So they're waiting for this Messiah to be there and to be, and then he is, well, they didn't believe. Um, some, some obviously did, they became the church. But the ones who didn't cause this big mob, cause this big uproar and this stirring, and they get the city officials in, and it becomes a big, a big issue there. And you know, we should be challenged kind of in our faith. I think for several of us, we might think, you know, once, once I've really walked with the Lord for like five years or, or 10 years or, or 20 years, then I'll, then, I'll, then I'll stand up for Jesus. Uh, then I'll be far more known for my faith. Well, these, these men and women, they're brand new. They're babies in their faith. And yet it has already stirred an issue within the community there. And so do people even know that you believe Jesus Christ is the Savior? Or when was the last time your faith challenged the institutional values that aren't honoring to the Lord? In light of this story, I think another good question is, is your faith so vibrant and committed that others get worked up about it? 
it doesn't mean that you roll in kicking down doors. It just means as you love Jesus, other people might find themselves saying like, hey, who are you to be so holy? Hey, why, why? And then you're like, I, I wasn't insulting you. I'm literally just doing my thing. But you're so, you know, put off by this. Well, verse eight finishes, eight and nine finishes this short story on how this church got started. It says, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, right, about King Jesus. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, then they let them go. So this church, it started with great difficulty. It was birthed with outside hardship. There were things that would have threatened the viability of this church. You know, if this was a church that would be started uh, just hypothetically today, and then after some people believe, then there'd be all this outside pressure, you guys can't be doing this, maybe it would crumble, but not so for this early church. In fact, in in this case, here you have uh, this reminder that when God wants to build his church, nothing can stop it. Not the rabble rousers, not discouraging Christians, not the gates of hell. And uh, we can all uh, be reminded of the role that God uses to start his church through fire and hardship. Now, back to 1 Thessalonians. If you go back to there, we're going we're gonna to pick up in the second half of verse 5. <clears throat> it says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia in, and in Achaia. For not only was the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. So, right, it wasn't just limited to the local spot there. It just spread everywhere. Now, this is a fantastic reminder of what it looks like to have God-honoring goals and aspirations as a church family. When you think about what is a successful church or what is a, a good church, a lot of us tend to put a, a, uh, a moral measurement on if a church is big then it's God-honoring. If it's small, not so much. Or others flip it around. If it's small, it's God-honoring. If it's big, they're sellouts, you know, whatever it might be. But what we recognize is that God doesn't use a, a, a measurement of, of size. He's not talking about, Paul's not writing about how cool their building is. He's talking about if they are faithful and if they are spirit-filled to the point where they serve as an example to believers in their community and their region. That to us should, be a, should pierce through the, the cloudiness that we may uh, read online or have conversations with others. You know, what are we about? Let me encourage you that when you describe to others what God is doing in this church, and he's doing a lot of fun things, and we're gonna talk about some of that after the second service and the other meeting. But when you describe what God's doing, please do not have this tone that we are better than others, as if... Um, as if, uh, well, that's just discouraging. Nobody likes 
that person in the room that makes them feel small, right? And so instead, I encourage you to share the work of God. If conversations come up, hey, what's God doing in that church? Or what's God, you know, I know you're at that church now, or whatever it is. Share it in a way that would, would point them back to the glory of the Lord, that, because it encourages the heart. It allows us to say, oh, in the same way that God was working in Acts, he's working that day, he's working in this church, and he's working in that church. In the same way he's working in those churches, he can work in my church, because we've got friends and family who are all over, right? We're all part of building the kingdom of God, and they are scattered across different churches, including our church plant up in Etland, and it's so fun to be able to say, let's just dive into the trenches together. God is doing this. I share this story of uh, breaking out of addiction and finding restoration with Christ. I share that with you, not because you don't have that as an immediate example in your church, but to say, this is the work that our Father is in, and we get to be a part of this. And so that's my encouragement for you. And, and let me just, uh, because, because Paul does this little like reminiscing moment, I do want to share with you, because this is the last Sunday, you know, of the last, of, uh, of, of our, uh, our birthday year. Uh, it's, it's been seven years. And it's really exciting to see what God has done over the life of this church. Because seven years ago, we were about to shut the doors on the church and wrap up and just go different places. I, I, I didn't know where I was gonna go personally. I really had a stirring to pastor this church family and in this community, but the opportunity wasn't there at the time. And so our first Sunday had about 90 adults and 30 kids, and now God has grown it to over 500 who are involved in the church and associated with it and invested in participating in one way or another. And it wasn't because of a strategy from a book or a cool conference or because there was a method that we saw from a church across town or something like that. It was because God's people came together with God's word and we prayed, and we fellowshiped, and we worshiped, and we had teaching, and we had communion, and we had baptism. And we have seen hundreds of people get right with God. We've seen people break, we've seen God do the work, but they've gotten right with God, they stayed right. God broke chains of legalism and chains of addiction. And it has served as an example for pastors and other churches in the area and in the region. They are so excited to see what he has done, right? That God did not uh, neglect like uh, um, uh, a, a church in a kind of an obscu in a slightly obscure town. Whenever I'm telling people we're in Rutgersville or Standersville, they say, where's that? <laughs> like most people don't know. And to me, it's a great reminder that uh, God is just as concerned to have life-giving churches in a mountain town as he is in the jungles, uh, like in Colombia in the desert uh, with our work in Kenya or uh, also in the cities. And so uh, in a moment, I'm gonna read the rest of this chapter in 1 Thessalonians because it does serve us kind of as a great, um, a great final punch. Most of this has been encouragement, but then there's a little bit of a tweak here at the end and it's a good ex exhortation to us. But before I do, uh, just to kind of finish out the little memory lane moment here, I wanna thank all of you for, for being such a, a wonderful church family because uh, I've been doing my own little reminiscing, not only because it's like our uh, seven years, there's kind of, there's something special about seven, 
uh, with scripture and just how God uses that number at times. And also my birthday was like last week. So I'm a little bit like midlife, like what am I doing? You know? And um, I've just been chewing on this church and like how awesome it's been to be a part of this and to be a shepherd among this church family with brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Lord. Uh, for some of you, I've known you for seven weeks, but for others, I've known you for seven years or more. And because we've been doing the hustle as a church, that number just kind of feels like it's just, it is what it is. But then it, it hit me just a couple weeks ago. I thought, seven years? I mean, there's people in our church. Some of you have entrusted your spiritual development to, in part, not, not fully, because we're elder-led and everything, but in part, to my shepherding for that length of time. I, that's, sometimes we don't last like seven months in the church. Seven years, eight years, nine years, going back to the campus days and stuff. It's a long time. And I, I, I find that so, um, that stirs within me such a, a sense of, uh, I feel very appreciated. It kind of in a, very honored in, in the role that, that this is, this interaction, this relationship that it is to, to seek after the Lord and then to watch him uh, work in our lives. He, we have watched him strengthen us through challenges. We've watched him literally sustain uh, us through awful hardships that you've endured as a family or uh, in, in part as a community. And we've been able to do, to do that together, and that's incredibly special. And then I think about even how you all have been so kind uh, to my, um, my family, right? my wife and my kids. And maybe that seems obvious. You know, you should be kind uh, to kids <laughs> and, um, and to my wife, but not everybody has that kind of experience, to be honest. And... It's, it's, it's exciting that for all this time, we have wanted to, to worship with all of you. And we have, uh, we've been able to watch you care for our kids, reinforce what we've been teaching as they're learning about Jesus, right? They're five, three, and one, if you don't know that. So they're very little. You've, you've, you've been there with Lynn through this really difficult like every time we have a kid, the first year is so hard. And each time it just gets more difficult. So you've been there with us through that. And then just such a great encouragement and a, and a, and a support to Lynn. Um, since usually a, a pastor's wife feels the, um, the pains harder than anybody else. So... All that to say, I don't mean to be such a sob story. I'll get it in now. Uh, the next service, I'll be like dry-eyed through the whole thing. But uh, I'm really, I'm deeply thankful. And it's exciting to be a part of this church family. So um, as a, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really excited for what God has ahead of us too. It feels like we've been really working on the, um, recognizing the role, the beauty of letting God break chains. And the two biggest chains I see are either their addictions or legalism. Those are deeply rooted in this community, in our lives. And for some of us, both uh, very, very much so. Others of us, one of those. And God's just been breaking through that stuff. And it's been awesome. And it's really fun to view it all as like one big journey, like trekking on the AT or something as one big group. 
and one day, like it just feels so so wonderful to pre- to be able to present this church to Christ, and um, and see and, and allow uh, allow us to celebrate the work He has done in this church family. Uh, some of you uh, will get to see Jesus before the rest of us. So when we do see Him, we'll give Him a hug, give you a fist bump, and be like, "How's it been up here?" And you'll be like, it's awesome. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, well, it's been a battle down here. And, uh, and I'm, I just really love that. So thanks for giving me some time to talk through that. I, I, I really, I could go on and on. Like this is one of those moments where if it was a campfire or a, uh, a Christmas celebration around a tree or something, I could, I could keep telling stories. But thankfully I have a, a second uh, service after the second service and we're gonna touch on just a couple of those points too. So, so uh, you know, back to Paul here. He's celebrating their work. Um, you know, we just get the cliff notes, but they would know what he's talking about with the work of faith and labor, love, and steadfastness of hope. It's probably a phrase he's used with them with other things, and they would be able to think of the examples of when that happened. He, they would be able to remember the example of what God showing up with his word and power and the Holy Spirit and conviction, like, which, which one is he talking about? Or, you know, they'd have a little more um, illustrations of that because they would know. And then also their example spreading forth everywhere. They would know what he's talking about in maybe specific examples, but we can relate to that with, with our own church examples. Now it finishes out this way. Verse nine, it says, for they themselves report concerning us. Oh, just to backtrack, if you forgot, I kind of forgot till now. They and themselves, this is referring to those, uh, the believers everywhere, right? So those, those other believers who've heard about the example, they report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turn to God from idols in order to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus whom, uh, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So these are our wonderful characteristics that describe this church. And here we're reminded they turned away from, uh, they turned from idols in their society and they turned to God. They also faithfully awaited Jesus' return, which has yet to happen now 2,000 years later. Now, it's that concept of idolatry that he mentions that I want to conclude with. I was talking to one of our group leaders this week about idolatry and, uh, and how the Bible teaches on this. And I said, you know, I preached on this like a long time ago. And I was thinking it was like three or four years ago. So I was searching in my notes. And it turned out it was the third sermon I preached as a church family. So it was January 17th, uh, 2016. Uh, so I was looking at that and uh, just thinking, first of all, that looked like a painful manuscript. I mean, y'all were so generous, man. You, you walked with me all these years as I have learned how to preach, right? Like, I mean, that alone is pretty, pretty, <laughs> I just, that means a lot. But uh, a lot of weaknesses you've, you've been, uh, you've tolerated. But looking at one of the points in there, I wanna bring it back out to all of you now. So I'll circle back. Some of you may recall some of this, some of you, you know, not at all. But when we talk about idols and what that looks like, uh, many of us think of idols as, uh, uh, we just like, we tolerate them in our lives. I, I would say that we're functioning addicts when it comes to allowing these things in our lives. And so we look at things, uh, uh, watch this, the Lord has given us a, a desire to have things like security or success or achievement or comfort or safety or affection or purpose or fulfillment or ownership and power. And we, we, uh, 
rather than taking all that and finding that stuff in the work on the cross and Jesus Christ himself, we give it to a, a created item, something of lesser um, value, part of the created order like we are. And so, for instance, rather than finding uh, security in the Lord, we'll find it in money that we look at our bank account. Uh, rather than finding success or achievement in, who, in what God says about us, we will find it in our job or uh, being married or unmarried, you know, rather than finding comfort and safety in the wings of our God, we will find it in our home or, again, our job or our bank account. Uh, rather than finding affection and approval from our, from our God, we'll find it in a spouse or in a child. Um, again, purpose and fulfillment, that's another one. We tend to find that in people as well or maybe a job and so on and so on. I want to challenge you in the same way that this church was marked. I mean, of all the things to say about them, one of the highlights was they ran from the idols in their society and they chased after God. They put him in the center of their heart, right where he belongs. And they didn't put anything else on the throne of their life. It was Jesus Christ. They worshiped him, kept him where he needs to be. I want to encourage us to do the same as the Holy Spirit identifies something in your life that you may have gotten out of order there. All right, so uh, as the Lord may bring that to mind, I wanna give you that space to, uh, to respond to him with confession and repentance and worship. And so Maddie, you and the team, how about you guys lead us in this last song? And uh, I want, uh, yeah, I would love for, for our elder team, there's several of us here, today and our wives if you're available just to be available on the side here and to be able to pray with anybody who may say listen I the Lord's working in my heart and it may specifically relate to idolatry and something that you want to give over but it also might be something else that we touched on there's a lot of different things we touched on but I love it because it's such a wonderful encouragement in many ways. So if you would like prayer, if you'd like to be served with the ministry of prayer, we'll be available to, to care for you in that way as well. So.